0: to this last 2021 episode of the Disease Du Jour podcast, one of the best-attended committee meetings at the 2021 AAP Convention Live Gathering in Nashville, Tennessee, was the Infectious Disease Committee, chaired by Sally Ann Donata, DVM, PhD, DACVIM. Dr. Donata is going to talk to us today about what was discussed at the committee meeting if you weren't able to attend. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equal Management. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2021 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Donata is a clinical assistant professor of large animal internal medicine at the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine. She also is the course coordinator of practice-based equine clerkships, which is a course at the University of Florida that pairs U.S. veterinary students with equine field veterinarians to provide hands-on real-life practice opportunities. She has special interests in clinical neurology and infectious disease. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Donata.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, we really do appreciate it. And of course the AAP Infectious Disease Committee meeting, I never miss that. And I know some folks don't get in in time when they're coming to live convention. And this unfortunately is not one of the things that are recorded by AAP, although there's lots of things that is uh, that, that were recorded from the AAP that you can go watch on demand. But we wanted to talk to Dr. Donata today um, about the AAP uh, Infectious Disease Committee. She is the chair, and we would like to know first, Dr. Donata, give us a little bit about what is the AAP Infectious Disease Committee?
1: Sure. So the Infectious Disease Committee is a group of um, roughly 20 AAP uh, member veterinarians, and we seem to be getting a little bit bigger every year as we take on more and more projects. But... This group works toward um, an overarching goal to provide resources and informational documents that help practitioners and AAP members navigate all of the many infectious diseases that they may encounter in equine practice. One of our um, primary goals is to maintain and, and produce and maintain updated disease guidelines. And these are individual documents that AAP members can access online or via the AAEP app that provide up-to-date information about the disease, how to prevent it, how to diagnose it, how to treat it, um, whether or not any regulatory action is required, and all of that's very specific to the disease at hand. But essentially, we want practitioners, as they are going from call to call, to have access to the most up-to-date and accurate information about infectious disease um, either through their phone or through their laptop um, computers. And those diseases can be very common in practice such as uh, preventative and treatment strategies for say strangles, which is endemic here in the country but is always a headache um, whenever you have an outbreak or an individual case. Or, um, and we also try to provide information about some of the more what we call the zebra diseases. So foreign animal diseases that someone may practice for decades and never see, but it's really important to make sure that people are aware of that disease and can recognize it if they ever do cross paths with an infected horse, particularly one that may be um, a new import to this country. There are certainly diseases that we want to make sure that we have an active role in keeping them out of our country.
0: Well, I know these documents are very well used by AP member veterinarians. But again, if you would like information on these diseases, you can find them on the AEP.org website or on the AAP app. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Great. And how would someone become involved in the Infectious Disease Committee for the AEP?
1: Right. So all AEP members have the opportunity to um. show their interest for many of the any of the AAEP committees through the AAEP volunteer interest form and there are emails that go out periodically throughout the year just to remind folks to click here, put your profile in and then you can um, actually just check the boxes for the various committees that you might be interested in serving on or, or knowing more about and there's there's wealth as a welfare committee. Um, a wellness committee, there's the racing committee, performance horses. Um, there's a lot of really great uh, interest focused groups. And uh, the infectious disease committee tends to be made up of, um, we have a, a really good mix of backgrounds in our, in our membership. So we have certainly many um, internal medicine uh, boarded specialists because infectious disease is, a, is certainly a big part of internal medicine practice. But we also have, um, we have a couple, well, we have one surgeon, Dr. Nat White, who serves as our, to- our token surgeon right now. And then he also heads up the Equine Disease Communication Center or the EDCC, which is a separate um, organization that we work really closely with to provide and share resources back and forth. Um, many people are aware that the EDCC serves as a reporting central for infectious disease um, here in Canada um, and throughout everywhere throughout this country and those um, disease reports are then disseminated um, back to the membership or back to the listservs and these might be veterinarians, um, regulatory folks as well as horse owners so that people can be aware of what diseases are active in their regions um, and certainly outbreak uh, reports is a really important part of the EDCC. For example, this spring, many people are aware of the um, equine herpes virus myeloencephalopathy outbreaks that uh, certainly were happening over in Europe and we were watching very closely what was was happening in the wake of that um, Valencia-centered outbreak. But we also had a smattering of neurologic herpes here in the United States and um, certainly social media and the rumor mill can disseminate information that is not always totally accurate, but it gets disseminated very rapidly. And so the IDC and the EDCC, to remember to get all my acronyms right here, um, work together really daily um, throughout the spring to make sure that we were putting out sort of news reports and status updates that really reflected what was that were accurate reflections of what was happening on those facilities at those shows and trying to get um, ahead of uh, misinformation and make sure that our memberships were pro- were provided with um, accurate counts of how many cases we actually had here in the U.S. Um, and how many uh, areas were actually affected. So accurate information is probably one of the most important, one of the most important goals of both the IDC and the EDCC.
0: And I know Dr. White did give a a year long report of what was going on with the EDCC reports and let everyone kind of see an overarching view of what went on during the year.
1: It's a really important service that um, really didn't exist before Dr. White created the EDCC. So I think it's a really um, great organization that I hope uh, will continue to be well supported um, in the the coming years. We really need, we need a central reporting system for infectious disease so that we can learn from our past and create uh, better models, better prevention strategies um, in the future. Certainly um, during the IDC meeting in Nashville, we invited, we had a couple guest speakers and Dr. Lutz Goring from a researcher at the Gluck Center and equine herpes virus expert was able to come and give us a firsthand account having been in Europe during the Valencia EHV outbreak and having served as an expert expert. in that outbreak and and in handling the, the aftermath of the satellite outbreaks that happened throughout several countries. And so hearing his first-hand account of what happened and certainly what was learned in the aftermath of that really gives us on the IDC um, some, some good fuel for what can we do to perhaps prevent that from happening here in the U.S. and focusing on some of these really big venues that may have thousands of horses moving on and off um, is a really important area for us to focus because we know now through more than one EHM outbreak when there is a suspected case or when horses start developing fevers, there is a strong and sometimes really uncontrolled tendency for folks to pack their horses up and leave. And while that's a I can understand where that desire to get your horses safely home. I understand that mentality. Unfortunately, from an infectious disease spread standpoint, there's literally nothing worse that you could possibly do than take horses that could be subclinically infected and soon to be shedding virus, bacteria, whatever infectious pathogen is um is happening and then take them elsewhere where they can spread it to their neighbors. And so I think there's a lot of ongoing discussion about what can we do to recognize infected horses very early and, and usually that's with very early fever detection. Certainly the biothermal um, temperature chips I think are going to be very powerful in this respect and, and having uh, horses microchip such that we can scan them and, and detect those temperatures or those fevers before horses are actually shedding um virus or or bacteria get them out of the population i think that's the first important step and then trying to strategize ways that we can work with horse owners um, to have their buy-in to recognize that removing their horse um, off the property and taking them home in an effort to keep them away from the epicenter uh, may not be from a biosecurity standpoint the smartest decision
0: well and that's those are great points. Um, And we really appreciate all the work that that your committee and the EDCC has done to try and bring all this information out to practitioners at large. And tell me a little bit about some of the other topics that were discussed. There was some research discussed on a new EHV-1 strain in the U.S. What can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is pretty exciting news um, uh, from an infectious disease standpoint. Dr. Pasterla has been um, really central in identifying this new strain, um, but then also um, disseminating information and publishing. and And he did a really nice talk at AAP. So there, there was an outbreak of EHM in Pennsylvania last spring that resulted in um, multiple. Clinically affected horses, some with just fevers, but it also there were also a couple uh, fatal cases of neurologic herpes. So uh, a serious EHM outbreak certainly. And when they tested those horses on blood and nasal swab PCR, as we as we do for EHV and EHM, they discovered that. It was a strain of EHV1 that had not yet been reported.
0: So the, the new strain of EHV1 was not reported before, and you said it was H752. Tell us a little bit about how this was discovered and a little more about the strain. Today's Disease DeJour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the maker of prestige vaccines, banamine, panicure, regimate, protozil and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their ongoing investment in our industry, profession, and community through programs such as the Respiratory Biosurveillance Program at merckanimalhealthusa.com.
1: Yeah, this is really exciting news um, from an infectious disease standpoint, and this was, Um, This new variant has been, um, was discovered and characterized and then presented at AAEP by Dr. Nicola Pasturla, who runs the the PCR um, pathogen lab at UC Davis. And what happened here was last spring, there was a neurologic EHV outbreak in Pennsylvania that involved several several premises and Several horses, and some were only affected by fevers, um, although there were uh, more than one case of actual fatal EHM, so severely affected animals. And we test horses for EHV1 via PCR on nasal swab and blood. And from a diagnostic lab standpoint, generally those samples are first screened with a PCR that looks for. The glycoprotein b gene and that is very well conserved across strains of ehv1 and so if the horse has ehv1 they should be positive on that pcr and then many labs will go on to take the second step of um, doing what we call a differentiation assay and this looks for a specific molecular footprint of a single nucleotide mutation in open reading frame 30 so the or 30 gene and previous to this last spring we generally thought that all ehv cases were either n752 or d752 and there's been lots of controversy about or reporting of which which strain is more likely to cause neurologic disease or abortion which is another outcome of ehv1 and think we pretty well recognize that both can be just as sinister from a clinical standpoint, but it's good for epidemiologic studies to recognize which strain we're dealing with and, and link cases on different premises um, together. This spring was different in that when they ran that glycoprotein B screening assay, all of the horses were positive, so confirming EHV1, But when they went and did that second, that differentiation assay, all of the horses were negative for either the N or the D mutation. And when they sequenced the virus at hand, they found that we actually now have an H752 mutation in that same ORF30 gene. This had been reported in France a few years ago, but didn't really lead to any widespread establishment of that virus that we knew of, but certainly not here in the US. So we know viruses mutate, this is probably a natural mutation just related to the timeline of this pathogen, but what was really important about this is if the laboratories aren't doing that glycoprotein B assay, these horses would have all come back negative. If they had just done the differentiation, so making sure that you're sending your samples to a lab that is screening with that really highly conserved um, PCR sequence, and then certainly now most differentiation assays, uh, or certainly as time goes on, differentiation assays are now going to include all three mutations rather than just the N versus the D. So, from an epidemiologic standpoint, it provided um, a lot of new information, and and certainly something that we need
0: to be aware of that's that's a great point and it's um it's very important for veterinarians to keep up with these things because then they know what testing to ask for and so that's one of the great things that the infectious disease committee makes sure it does is get this information out to aap members and other veterinarians um go ahead
1: yeah we we certainly how to diagnose um diseases is certainly one of the, one of the most important parts of the resources and the guidelines that we create. And um, certainly there are commercial tests out there that may or may not be validated um, and may be available through sources outside of um, accredited laboratories. And so we really, we pair with our expert authors, which to your, to your question earlier about how people can get involved, in addition to serving as a member of the committee, many of our disease guidelines are actually authored by experts in their respective fields. So we reach out to experts of um, certain diseases. Certainly we know that people sometimes dedicate their entire career to one very specific disease. And we try to pair with those um, expert authors and have them actually author our guidelines and then um, provide all of the most accurate information. Many of which comes from, a lot of times comes from their own labs and their own research projects. So if anybody, listening today and has a disease that uh, in which you're an expert and you'd like a guidelines uh, created by AAP, certainly reach out to us because we can add you to the list where our list of guidelines gets bigger and bigger every year.
0: And those guidelines get updated. So
1: every three years.
0: And also um, at this meeting, we had a report from Dr. Angela Pelsel mccluskey And I will have a copy of her report. She has actually given us a copy, and it will be in the article on EquiManagement.com that goes along with this podcast. But could you give us just a little overview of of what that report was about, Dr. Donato?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Dr. Pelzel McCluskey um, is the USDA equine epidemiologist, which is a big job and an exciting job. She's like CSI for horses sometimes. And we certainly, in addition to internists and practitioners um, on the committee, we try to bring in folks that are involved in regulatory medicine because they really provide us a lot of feedback about um, how they're working with the government to create ordinances and regulations to help keep horses that are here safe and certainly um, help keep horses that are coming to this country safe. And so we always appreciate um, all of our regulatory veterinarians and their input Angela has um, the job of keeping track of new disease trends and ongoing infectious diseases across this country. And every year she generates a report of what's happening and where we know that certain diseases have um, years of high prevalence that may come and go. Vesicular stomatitis is certainly one where we may have a year where we have a multi-state outbreak. Um, lots of regulatory veterinary effort to try to get those outbreaks out of, under control. And then we might have years that have very little activity at all. And two of the um, emerging disease trends that she has discussed that she discussed this year at the IDC are um, the really pretty rampant transmission of equine pyroplasmosis and equine infectious anemia, both of which are getting spread iatrogenically. Um, by folks that are working on these infected horses. And so um, pyroplasmosis is a a blood-borne protozoan parasite that is naturally spread by ticks. And equine infectious anemia is a virus uh, spread by biting insects. When allowed to spread only by these natural vector-based methods, These diseases both, thankfully, remain very rare, and really only um, centralized as sporadic cases when the vector, when and where those vectors are active. However, because they're both blood-borne pathogens, they have the ability to be spread iatrogenically through needle sharing, blood products, um, and and anything that involves sharing of, of of blood between one horse and the next. And so they, Angela and her team, have discovered really an alarmingly high rate of transmission of sometimes both of these diseases in the same horse in, in areas where um, what we call bush track racing is happening. So this is unsanctioned racing of quarter horses, thoroughbreds, standard breds, um, and horses are getting given medication via shared needles. There is an element of um, blood doping happening on these um, on these sites. So horses being given packed red cells or blood products from one horse to the next. And it's essentially a, a, a very efficient method for transmission of these diseases. And so both of these diseases, which we tend to think are under control in the general population, or we'd like to think that, um, Are really being um, propagated in these populations and these horses are traveling under the radar from one racetrack to the next they're being sold and so they serve as essentially a population of horses that could infect the horses in the rest of the country so getting a a handle on how these diseases are being spread and then trying to mitigate it right at this at the source is really important and something that dr pelzel mccluskey has worked a lot on because these racetracks are unsanctioned there's there really isn't um, a great regulatory way to go in and say okay this is what we need to do here on these sites and so I know that um, it, it's difficult to get access to these horses and once the horses have been diagnosed it's it's actually pretty difficult to keep them quarantined both of these diseases are either very difficult to treat or untreatable making this in, these even more important pathogens to really try to keep under control. The other disease she talked about that is, could be of major importance in this country in the near future is Venezuelan equine encephalitis. So this is one of the arboviruses close related to Western and Eastern equine encephalitis, with the latter Eastern being one that we see here in Florida and throughout the country every year during mosquito season. Venezuelan equine encephalitis has not been reported in this country for many years, but we have reason to believe there's active transmission happening in many of the Mexico states. And what's scary about VEE is horses can actually act as an amplifying host and serve as a source of infection for other horses. So with triple E and WEE, horses are a dead end host, the virus is really only um, amplified in the bird vectors that of course can fly and then get bitten by a mosquito, which then gets passed to a horse. But an infected horse really poses no risk to the animals or the other horses around it. VEE is a totally different beast and that horses actually amplify that virus. They become not only viremic themselves and affected themselves, but they become virus factories. And so, if a VEE-infected horse were to travel into the United States, it could actually spread VEE and create an outbreak via mosquito bite. Which certainly here in Florida, it's, it's pretty difficult to avoid mosquitoes effectively. So we need to keep we need to keep infected horses um, away from our mosquitoes
0: yeah and that's a that's a very important point and i know it's a it's a scary thought but it needs to really be something that veterinarians and people on the front lines are keeping an eye on absolutely um is there anything else from the infectious diseases committee that you want to discuss with our audience this morning
1: sure um next year we have a couple um, of our really most heavily utilized resources coming up for um, revision. So one of them is going to be the internal parasite prevention guidelines. And this is is probably one of our most popular resources. Certainly applies to really every equine practice, no matter where you are in the country. Um, Parasite prevention in some form or another will be an important part of just general wellness plans for your equine patients. And so, thus, knowing that these are really a heavily used resource, we try to keep them updated um, in a timely manner, at least every three years. And so, Dr. Martin Nielsen of the Gluck Center has headed up the subcommittee that revises these these guidelines, and he's going to do that again this next spring. And I know that there is some New information about how to quantify anthelmintic resistance, which is certainly an important issue right now in equine practice and and large animal practice in general, and so there's going to be some new information about how practitioners can evaluate herds and individual patients for anthelmintic resistant parasites, and then plan uh, anthelmintic plans and pre- prevention parasite prevention plans accordingly. So. Those will be up this year, and then we are also going to be working even more closely with the EDCC group to look at disease trends over the last seven years or so, which is how long the EDCC has been in existence, and see what we can glean from an epidemiological standpoint from this growing database of infectious disease reports. There isn't really another source of information like the database that the edcc has and so it represents a really valuable um, and powerful source of information for us to learn about what diseases are really truly affecting equine populations in this country um, and are they increasing are they decreasing are they moving certainly we know that there are diseases that are spreading one way or the other geographically and so being able to tell practitioners and AEP members out there this is coming your way um, can help us better uh, plan mitigation and prevention strategies for a variety of different pathogens
0: well great um dr donata i want to thank you so much for joining me on this episode of disease du Jour. and we want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today and a special thanks to our 2021 sponsor merck animal health And we're happy to let you know that Merck Animal Health is going to sponsor Disease to podcast again in 2022. We really appreciate their uh, sponsorship. And this year in 21, we focused several episodes, quite a few, on topics that were pertinent to veterinarians in the field. Next year, we're going to have a number of topics geared toward those veterinarians who are early in their careers. Now, make sure we'll have plenty of great tips and information for practitioners, no matter your age or stage. But I know, Dr. Donata, you are actually uh, involved with an AAEP new practitioner meeting for 2022. Can you tell us a little about that? You
1: betcha. This is going to be a great meeting. Um, This is a symposium for AAEP members less than five years out of veterinary school. And it's going to be over a weekend in February, February 19th and 20th. And this is an AAEP a hosted CE event that will be held at the University of Florida. And the, topic, the topics that we've chosen for this particular CE event are really focused on what are the most important skill sets to practitioners in those first five years. And so we have certainly online or uh, hands-on uh, skills labs, including um, ultrasound, ophthalmology, But we also have a variety of business and um, kind of interpersonal collaborative topics, wellness topics to help folks um, also navigate some of the stresses of having maybe their own practice or working in in large collaborative practices while they develop some of those core medical skill sets. So I think that we are looking at around 60 practitioners. So it'll be a nice, um, relatively small group. Registration is open right now for people to go ahead and and sign up and it will be taught by faculty from around the country so some uh, uf people certainly some florida veterinarians from our surrounding practices but we're actually bringing in um, specialists from around the country so that people can not only get a good breadth of education but um, really develop a sense of collegiality and network with um, equine vets from all over this country and the other thing that I think will be really, that I'm really looking forward to is Saturday night, it looks like we're going to go and have um, a tour and a social event at the New World Equestrian Center, which is a really <clears throat> amazingly impressive uh, facility and certainly gives, uh, well the hope is to give folks an idea of um, a whole other facet of equine medicine that um, that is available to them should they end up working in an area where this horse is uh, actively showing and competing. So it should be a really great evening.
0: And is there any way if those 60 spots, I'm assuming, are going to fill up pretty darn quick, is there any way to get any of this information if you can't attend live? Or is this something you can repeat in the future?
1: I think the goal really is to have folks here in person, so I I don't believe we have an online or on-demand um, option right at the moment. Of course, that could change. Things are changing all the time, but part of the goals of this symposium is to get people together so that they can meet their colleagues um, and develop a real network and and, and sense of community that often builds over years and years of equine practice. If we can speed that up a little bit and get people in contact with other equine veterinarians in those first few years, I think it's good. It's a win-win for everybody.
0: That is. And that's so That's one of those things that you can go to the AAP website if you're interested in this and you're in your first five years of practice and find out more about it. So that I'm, I'll be interested in talking to you perhaps after this and seeing what maybe the takeaways were, Dr. Donata absolutely i think it's going to be a great meeting i think so too so anyway we invite uh everyone to listen to previous episodes of disease du Jour, and we have discussed a lot of specific disease topics over the years we've had dr nat white on to talk about the edcc and how veterinarians can get involved and use it so uh please make sure and go back and listen to previous episodes on itunes soundcloud stitcher wherever you like to listen to your podcast will be on there, Disease Du Jour. And if you have questions or suggestions, you can send me an email at kbrown at equinenetwork.com. And Dr. Donata, is there anything else that you would like to add today?
1: I think that's everything. Have a great holiday.
0: Okay, well, thank you very much. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.